2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, who wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I'm sure you'll be very pleased. I, um, I don't know what happened this morning, but I, I forgot a lot of stuff. And at times like that, I, I get Robin to, um, I send a text or phone calls or whatever, bring this, and a few minutes later, or bring this, a few minutes later, bring this. And um, I actually had to say, Robin, I left my watch at home. Can you bring my watch? There's nothing more scary than a preacher getting up to preach without a watch on. It's like... <laughs> anyway, I, I've given today's message the title, New Kingdom Living. Uh, last week, we were talking about the second coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus and the day of judgment accompany one another. We cannot have one without the other. But the thing is for us, are we disciples of Jesus because we're afraid of judgment, hellfire and brimstone? Or are we disciples of Jesus because we love Jesus and because he's called us to follow him? Uh, one method of evangelism is to preach the message, turn or burn, and there's a place for that. But for us, as disciples of Jesus, that's no longer our concern. Yes, the heavens and the earth will be dissolved. Everything's going to be burned up. The whole cosmos is going to be vaporised. So when he talks about a new heavens and a new earth, when he's talking about the heavens, that's referring to you know, the, the canopy of stars that we see, the, the universe. The whole universe is going to be vaporised, but we shouldn't be afraid of this because according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, in the main street at the moment, you've probably noticed they've demolished the old library and other bits and pieces and there's just a big hole in the ground there at the moment. They've come to an end. But I haven't come across anyone, I don't think, who's too cut up about it because we know that there's going to be a new library. And, of course, the trendy word at the moment, precinct. Um, there's going to be a new library and community centre, precinct. Um, so I'm sure that'll all be very flash. But, but much, much more exciting than this is God's promise that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Uh, that's his promise. Uh, and that's what we're waiting for. And, you know, some people, they sort of start claiming all sorts of promises. They look back to promises that were promised to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They start claiming promises like that. We don't need to go looking for things like that. We've got a far better promise to cling to, which is made for followers of Jesus. And that is there's a new heavens and a new earth coming in which righteousness dwells. Now, if that's what we're waiting for, if that's what the beloved are waiting for, and we are the beloved, are we not? Is there anyone here who recognises that they are the beloved? Nairi does. I knew you would, Nairi. Yep. 
Um, so Nairi is the beloved, and um, you can be too if you're a follower of Jesus. Um, that's who we are. We are the beloved. And if that's what the, the beloved are waiting for, Peter says to the beloved, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, I'm going to reveal something to you that I'm pretty sure that you've probably never noticed is I don't get dressed up very often. Um, I hate it. I, I hate putting on the glad rags, you know, particularly if I have to wear a coat and tie. Uh, it just feels so wrong. What, what is it with that? It's like you put this tie on, you choke yourself with it around your neck, and then in, in Australia we, we put on clothes that probably designed for a northern European winter, and we wear them in the middle of summer. We put, put on our long pants and our long shirt and then a tie, and then we put a coat on over the top of, the, top of it, and then we try to look all very squish in 38-degree heat with humidity and sweat pouring out of us. We're crazy. But I actually... So I hate it for that reason, but the worst part of it is I have to be really careful... Because here I am, I've got this beautiful, nice shirt on and a nice coat on, and I've got to be careful that I don't get any grease on it or whatever. And, and quite often, I've got a nice shirt in the cupboard, and I think, right, I've only worn that once, I'm going to this wedding, I'll wear that. And Robin, I put it on and Robin condemns it. No, that shirt, that's no good. Why not? What's wrong with it? I've only worn it once. But well, you've obviously spilt something on it, because look at those stains all over that. You can't wear that. And it just really annoys me. I don't know what it is. Some people don't seem to have too much trouble keeping themselves clean. I'm not one of those people. And so if I'm going to a wedding or a funeral, I, I leave getting dressed until the last possible moment before I put on my glad rags. If I had my way, I'd get changed in the car park of the church, but Robin won't let me do that. But what I'm getting at is if I'm dressed for a wedding or whatever, it's really important, or at least to Robin it's really important, that when I get there that I'm wearing suitable clothes and I'm not a grub. And that's what Peter's getting at here. We are destined for a new heaven and a new earth, a, a, a place of righteousness. In fact, on this earth, righteousness is the only thing that's going to survive the burning. Every physical thing and everything that's evil, everything that's fleshly, it's all going to be judged and burned. And so if we're destined for righteousness, this is how we should live now. New kingdom living is keeping faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and having righteousness in conduct. Now, living righteously, living a godly life, um, how do we feel about that? How we feel about living a righteous and godly life um, is a pretty fair indicator of how my walk with God is going. You see, if the Holy Spirit is within me, the prospect of living a godly life, that's an exciting thing. Cool. Well, yeah. To be free of bitterness, yeah. To be free of lust and selfishness, to be free of greed, and, and to be filled with truth and love, to be filled with joy and peace, I can't think of anything better. That's, that's really good. To have an innate honesty that you always want to tell the truth and, and there's just a general goodness about you. That, that's great. That's great. Yeah. To the spiritual man, that sounds really good. But if I'm feeling, oh man, do I have to be good all the time? Well, that's a pretty good indicator that there's probably something not very good with my walk with God and that I'm not in a very good place at the moment. And some people might be, yeah, I can be well behaved. I can be without this spot or blemish if you like, but how long has it got to be for? You know, like if, if Jesus is coming back in a week, that's cool. I can be a good person for a week, but, I, I, you know, there's other things that I like doing that I'm not sure I really want to give up. How long is it going to be? Verse 15 says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. 
The reason Jesus has been a long time coming, and we talked about this last week, is because he wants more people to have the opportunity to be saved. It's because he wants them to have this opportunity to come to repentance. It's because God loves people so much that he wants us to repent of our sins and he's been patiently waiting for this. But I think it's more than this. The longer that I live as a Christian, the more I have been experiencing the salvation of our Lord on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a second by second basis. Sadly, I still sin. Thankfully, when I repent, he forgives us of that sin. But by his Holy Spirit, he's also changing me. He's changing us to become more godly. And this is part of this salvation of our Lord. And yet, the further I come, the more I realise how far I've got to go. I've yet got a long way to go before I'm perfected. And so the more I look forward to his glorious coming, when the fleshly nature will be gone, it'll be burned up with everything evil in the world. And so we look forward to his coming and we're wishing that he is here now, but even now we're at peace because we know that he is coming. When the world seems to be getting turned upside down and people of the world start to be in a panic, disciples of Jesus don't panic. We won't worry like people of the world worry because our heart isn't set on this world and we know that our Lord is returning. Right. Now, a quick reminder. Uh, in all of what we've just talked about, uh, we're in a section of Peter's letter where he is still talking about false teachers. Uh, and so if we follow down a path led by false teachers, we're probably not going to be ready for Jesus we're probably gonna be covered with spots and blemishes because they've been leading us off track. Now, sometimes when false teachings in a church become so popular and become so accepted and so widespread within the Christian culture, it can seem like the teaching that we're hearing, even though it's false, we might be unaware that it's false, and, but it seems to be what's normal because it's so popular and so widespread. And in times like these, when a Bible teacher is, saying, gets, is willing to stand up and say, no, that is not right. This is what's true. And what you, what you believe and what you have been doing is very destructive. Uh, sometimes a preacher can stand up to declare the truth and feel that they're all alone. And the people who they love and the people who they're trying to correct might think, oh, there he goes again. Got to be in his bonnet about that same old thing again. He's the one with the problem. Harping on about this, he's the only one that thinks this. Now, in times like those, we need to realise, no, this is not so. He's not the only one. Um, and, and the preacher actually needs to say, hey, it's not just me and he points to other well-known preachers and respected preachers. Do you trust him? He's saying the same thing. And that's actually what Peter is doing here in this letter. So Peter and Paul, they've had a bit of an interesting relationship. Uh, at times, they sort of had a few disagreements, and, and we saw one of those when we did our last series in Galatians. Uh, but on this matter, both Peter and Paul are of one mind. Peter, and Peter reminds us of this. He says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And he's absolutely right. Peter and Paul are of one mind on this. We are eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. We are at peace about it and we are to be ready and we are to be without spot and without blemish when he comes. Um, and basically being ready means disciples of Jesus should be striving. 
we should be making every effort to live a holy, godly life. We should be making every effort to walk in the Spirit. Now, Peter and Paul are both in agreement on this, and you can find this right throughout the letters that Peter wrote and all the letters, many letters, that Paul wrote. And there's nothing super spiritual about this. To keep in step with the Spirit simply means to live a godly and righteous life to live in the righteousness that God has called us to. And it's not a burden. It's not a burden. It's a joy. It's not a difficult thing because Holy Spirit is living inside of us. It's hard to be a naughty person when Holy Spirit has reign in your life. Um, and it just gets harder and harder the more you try and fight him. Now, this is pretty simple. And yet Peter reckons that Paul's letters aren't always that simple. Let's take a straw poll. Um, most of you have read your Bibles a fair bit. Who thinks that the writings of Paul are easy to understand? Put your hands up. No one. Put your hands up if you think the writings of Paul are difficult to understand. A few. Put your hand up if you don't know who Paul is. <laughs> no one, right? So I guess that, that's what we find. Um, you see, Paul addresses what I call some really fine line sorts of issues in his letters, where the truth is a fine line. And if we step off that line to the right, we fall into error. If we step off that line to the left, we get it wrong. Um, and a fair bit of the division within the church, the reason why there are so many denominations, I believe, is because sometimes we step off a fine line and think, yep, this is the right spot to be, and then make that an issue of faith. And if you don't believe exactly what I believe, then, yeah, you, you're, you're not a Christian. And, and another denomination might sort of step off the fine line this way and go, well, this... For us, is an issue of faith. And if you don't believe this, then you don't belong with us. And I think that's probably one reason why we've got so many denominations. But, but we find these fine line issues in the writings of Paul. So, for example, Paul will write quite strongly that we are saved by grace. We're not saved by, by getting ourselves sinless. Like, I don't, I don't make myself perfect and therefore I'm saved. We're saved by the grace of God. Jesus died on the cross for me. But we are called that once we are saved, to live righteously, right? So in one breath, he'll tell us, well, we're not saved by being good. But in the next breath, he'll tell us, but be good, okay? So we, we be good because we are saved. But even in living righteously, the Holy Spirit We've been taught this, that the Holy Spirit is in us to help us to keep God's commands. And yet, we are commanded to make every effort ourselves. So which is it? Do, do we rely on the Holy Spirit or do we have to do it ourselves? Well, it's both. We work with the Holy Spirit. Or if we think about predestination, God predestines us. God chose us before time that he would save us. And by his Holy Spirit, he gives us the ability to believe this is what the writings of Paul tells us. And yet we're also commanded that it is we who repent and we who believe. Is it God who does this or is it we who do it? Well, the answer is both. We work with the Holy Spirit to believe and to continue in the faith. Um, and with our salvation, we're given an, insurance, an assurance that, that no one can take us away from God. Who can take us away from God? No one, no person, no one can take us away from God. And yet, we're reminded over and over and over again to hold fast to Jesus, hold fast to the gospel or we will have run in vain because we realise that the only one who can take me away from Jesus is me if I stop following him. You see, there's a fine line. But worse than misjudging a fine line, 
is when those who Peter calls the ignorant and unstable twist the scriptures. They twist what the apostles have said to make up their own teachings. Now, by the way, when, when we're reading the writings of the New Testament, to, to the early church, what they referred to as the scriptures was the Old Testament, right? So that's what they referred to as the scriptures. But here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that here is probably the first time where the writings of the apostles are referred to as scripture, right? So this is sort of at the point at which the writings of the apostles, which we now have as our New Testament, was being referred to as scripture. And so for us, when we talk about scripture, we're not just talking about Old Testament. We're talking about Old Testament and New Testament. Now, back in chapter 2, verse 3, Peter used the word plastois. Um, our Bible's translated as false words, right? So the false teachers were using false words, plastois, from which we get, a, get, get our word plastic or plasticine. It, it can be formed and shaped and moulded. And that's pretty much what plastois means here. They shaped words, they construct words, they, they mould words into new teachings, which are false. But now it gets even more blatant and even a more violent distortion of God's word when he says the Greek word strebluzen, which means to distort, to twist, to torture, to put to the rack, if you will, um, the word of God. And I think that's probably the best way to understand it. They distort, they twist, they torture the scriptures to try and show that the scriptures are backing up what they're wanting to tell you. But who does this? Well, couldn't possibly be talking about us because he's talking about the ignorant and unstable. Who wants to admit that they're ignorant or unstable? Um, but that's, that's how he describes them. And sometimes, I guess, what this is showing is sometimes those who are trying their hardest to come across as being more spiritual and being more, more knowledgeable are actually ignorant. They might know very well the, the things of man, but when it comes to the things of God, they're actually ignorant. And we talked about who the unstable are. The unstable are like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Um, the foolish man was the one who heard the, heard the teachings of Jesus, but didn't do them. Um, the foolish man is the one who rejects the word of God as it is and doesn't do that. It's those who don't follow the word of God without twisting it and don't follow the commandments of God. Now, here comes the crux. He's been warning us about they, meaning the false teachers, and how to recognise them and why they are so destructive. But he refers to us as the beloved. What are the beloved to do? And some of you may have been wondering this, why have we been bothered to study this second letter of Peter? Why have we had to sit here week after week listening to, to our wretched preacher rabbit on about, about false teachers and whatnot, yada, yada, yada? Well, verse 17 tells us why. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You see, it's important that we hear this and we learn this before we get carried away by false teachings. False teachers, um, there once was a time when their, I guess their access to churches was rather limited. They could only really visit one church at a time and they could make an appearance in a church. They'd have to put in a fair bit of effort to get there and churches were so spread out, they'd spend a fair bit of time there and they'd give the people of that church time to know them and to, time to assess what they're saying and as a church, 
to decide, well, actually, this is biblical or it's not biblical. Um, and so if a church was doing things right, they wouldn't get a look in. But things have changed so much. Now, through the internet, television, social media, books, our personal access to all sorts of teachings, both very good teachings and very bad teachings, is virtually unlimited. And I urge you to take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But it's not actually I who am urging you. It's Peter. He urges you and I both to watch out for false teachers and not to be carried away. But instead, and this is, this is the glorious bit, and if we concentrate on this bit, we won't get carried away by false teachers. Instead, we simply grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's much better, isn't it? But is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Most false teachings come into being because people, we're always looking for something more. We're looking for something new. We're looking for something exciting. Because this isn't enough. But is this enough to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? This is our calling. Our calling isn't to have some secret knowledge that nobody else knows. Our calling isn't to go down some different path to, to, to what the Christian, has, Christian church has always believed. Our calling is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity and Peter finishes off this letter. This is one of our shorter series as ever, by the way, um, with one word, Amen. Amen. Let it be so. Yes, I agree with this. That's what Amen means. Righto, so um, I'd just like to welcome uh, Fraser and Alex Hemming uh, to Wolf Disciples today. Uh, and some of you know them, some of you know them quite well, some of you might know who they are, some of you might not know them at all. Um, now, for me personally, I've known Fraser a lot longer than I've known Alex. I'm just going to shift a bit. Now I can see you. Righto. So I've known Fraser for longer than I've known Alex. Um, I've known Fraser ever since we came to St George, and um, he was a little boy in primary school at that time. I have the privilege of, of baptising Fraser um, out at Buckenbar Weir in, um, I think it was 2005, I think it might have been about Easter time. Um, so I, I know that Fraser is a lad that grew up in a, in a strong Christian family, and to me your faith has always seemed quite real. Um, so just so people get to know you guys, Fraser and Alex, can, can you give us a bit of a brief story of your faith through your early childhood, please? Yeah, yeah um, I definitely grew up uh, in a, a gospel-focused and biblically-centred uh, family and church. And um, yeah, uh, I was really uh, fortunate to have that uh, opportunity. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Brisbane in a really loving family. We went to church every Sunday and I don't think there's ever been a time where I wouldn't have called myself a Christian. Uh, I lived a very moral life, uh, even through my teen years, so I thought that I was pleasing to God and I was always seeking God and seeking to please Him and uh, you know, I thought I was doing a fairly good job. <laughs> God saves the Pharisees too. <laughs> um, but sort of around teen years, the youth ministry in the church that my family took me to kind of dwindled out. And so I started attending a different church in the area, which is where I met Fraser in around grade 10. Okay. So Fraser, you headed off to boarding school in Brisbane 
and your church experience changed a bit once you once you hit the city. Can can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, as Alex said, um, yeah, I boarded uh, in Brisbane, and um, uh, my brother Sam and I started going to just a, a local church, a youth group on a Friday night, um, just with a whole heap of friends from school, and um, that's where I met Alex. Um, and yeah, it was it was the time that. Um, I mean, honestly, it was just good to get out of the boarding house, but um, yeah, that was where we sort of started to sort of learn and have some more development about um, church and whatnot. Righto. So in today's reading, uh, Peter said to take care not to be carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now... If our stability is like the sort of stability of the wise man who had his feet upon the rock, uh, to lose our stability is to be carried away from the solid rock word of Jesus, the solid rock word of God. Now, I understand you guys found yourselves in a position where you were starting to get carried away by that. Can, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think... At the time, just being young um, and, you know, being 15 years old, just wanting to um, be with friends and, and, and follow what, um, what was happening amongst us, uh, we really at the time didn't know um, really where we're headed or um, what we were being taught in terms of um, whether what we were being taught was true um, and we really didn't understand that um, what we had been taught uh, back then uh, really shaped the last 10 years of our theology and our life um, and it's only been the last few months where we've um, where God's opened our eyes to the fact that um, what we had have believed um, for a long period of time is uh, is not the true gospel yeah, uh, we didn't have a concept back then of being carried away. You know, we didn't have any concept of that there are false teachings, false teachers. We didn't have a knowledge of any of that. We sort of would just believe whatever was told us. And, um, yeah, we, I, I guess that's um, all we can really say. But I have a passage that I want to share, which was uh, one of the first passages that we came across when God started to open our eyes to the, the fact that we had been deceived. And it's from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. And this is Jesus talking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, this passage was a real sickening punch to the gut, really uh, an incredibly painful realisation that there will be many who expect to enter the kingdom of heaven, but they'll be turned away because they have accepted a false gospel. And, yeah, the day that we both looked at each other and went, we don't know if we're true believers, we don't know if we are believing the true gospel was a really hard day and it's uh, been the start of a really painful but, but good, praise to God, process of unlearning the, the false things that we'd been taught and believed and learning the true gospel, true biblical gospel. So... Fraser, could you share how that that message was more attractive than than the truth? Yeah, um, the the gospel that we were presented with was um, God loves you, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and um, if you accept Him into your heart, you are saved. Um, whereas the true gospel, uh, biblically, uh, differs from that. It calls us to uh, repentance, where we uh, do a 180-degree turn from our selfish, uh, our sinless and our selfish lives, and we understand that um, we have sinned against God, um, and that uh, in order to um, have salvation, we need to take up our cross, follow Jesus, and um, and follow Him rather than um, 
adding God's plans to our current lives. We, we actually turn from our own plans and desires. Yeah. I think that sort of makes it gel a bit for me because um, when you just said those three things at the start, so God loves you, I think most of us would agree with that. Uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And what was the other one? Um, uh, yeah, invite, him invite him into your heart. And, and I think we would all agree on those things, but it actually comes down to um, seeing it from human fleshly perspective as opposed to from a godly spiritual perspective. Um, yeah, which is what you just brought out then, because God's wonderful plan for my life might be very different to what, <laughs> to what the fleshly Michael wants it to be. Um, yeah, okay. Um, yep, so um, I, you said to me the other day that you said that the message was non-offensive, flamboyant and fun. Can you put legs on that for me? What, what do you mean by that? Um, well, yeah, it, it partners with what we were saying before um, in that um, I had great plans for my life that were fun and when, we're, and when, I, and when I think that what my view of, of, um, of like we're taught God is good. I was taught God, is, I believe God was good, but I saw that um, in my eyes of what was good, not in, uh, in terms of the Bible's teaching of good and, and God's version. And the fact that uh, the true gospel is offensive because it calls us away from uh, our desires and what our view of good is and how we think God should work. Uh, and it calls us to... Um, it's offensive because it calls us to admit that... Um, we need to understand and adhere to what God's plan is regardless of whether uh, I like that or not. And I need to trust that when times seem unfair uh, or difficult or hard, that, um, that God is still with me and he does love me. And uh, in all things, God works it for his glory and for his good. So down the path that, that you were getting led... Um would you have, did you think at the time that, that it was biblical, the way you were getting, that you were going? Um, yes, I think one of my, or our yeah, biggest realisations um, as a few months ago was the fact that I was biblically illiterate. Um, I um, placed a lot more emphasis and weight on... Um, trusting my own experiences and how I felt um, in terms of um, mystical experiences or or experiences with the Holy what I thought was the Holy Spirit. Just before you go on, can you just explain what you mean by mystical experience? Um, what I I mean, first want to put out a disclaimer. I'm I'm still learning. Uh, I'm still um, I, I really want to. Um, honor God and, and point to biblical truth. Um, but for me personally, I um, spent more time uh, trying to understand um, supernatural experiences rather than, um, and relying on them to give me guidance, um, asking others for uh, prophetic wisdom um, there, and placing more weight on what other people had told me um, rather than on the biblical truth. And uh, for me, that coupled with the fact that um, I rejected a lot of scripture um, because uh, the truth, a lot of scripture is offensive to mankind, is offensive to humans because um, it basically um, says that we have wronged and, and I didn't want to admit that I was wrong. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. The book of Job, presented a huge problem for me uh, in the scriptures because I couldn't understand how uh, God could hand Job over to Satan to be um, put through that trial. And I didn't understand that. And therefore, because I didn't understand it, I didn't want to accept it. So in our discussions we've had earlier, you sort of talked to me about the way that they use scripture and, and that there was the teaching you received, it, it had enough scripture to give it the appearance of being biblical and they used Christian sort of language and concepts. But 
you, you now realise that those were two different things. Can you explain that for us? Uh, yeah. Um, that is... It's hard um, because I know for myself, I like to look at scriptures that were appealing um, and I, I love to uh, look at how... Uh, Jesus' ministry and the power that he had and also the power that um, the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles in, um, in the New Testament. And I, I liked to look at those um, and saw that as a benchmark for my own life and what could be um, for me um, instead of um, looking um, even at God's sovereignty. Like I love to look and I love to read um, Romans 8 uh, talking about life in the spirit, um, and that's you know that's still a wonderful uh, chapter. But I really didn't like the next chapter, which was Romans nine uh, about God's sovereign choice, because um, I didn't understand, um, and I didn't really want to understand why God chooses to do things the way He does them, and um, because I couldn't make sense of it, um, it was offensive to me, and therefore I chose not to believe it. Okay, so, uh, so God's sovereign choice, that's because God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he's the boss, that, that grates really hard on us when we want to be king or we want to be boss, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, just back to your question on language, the kind of Christian terminology. I think as it pertains to the gospel, the understanding of the nature of God and the nature of man are the two most, I think, juxtaposing things that I have come to realise. In the false gospel that we had been taught and, the, and that we had believed, we would sort of pick and choose the passages that we liked, which basically allowed us to construct an image of God where he actually bends to our will and bends to our desires. And then in regards to the nature of man as well, we created an image that was that we're pretty good. You know, man's pretty great. We are powerful and we can do wonderful things in the name of Jesus. And now that's tr that is true, but it has to be taken in the proper biblical context with good hermeneutics, which is the study of the, of the passages and the context of scripture. And so... If we have a gospel and we're worshipping a God that is not sovereign and if we think we have power over him, we have an incorrect view of, of the biblical authority of, which tells us of God's nature and of man's nature, that God is sovereign and we are utterly depraved. We're born in sin and are in desperately need of a saviour and Jesus is the only one that can save us through the death on the cross and praise to him that he's done that for us. Okay. So, so just before we move on again, um, is there anything you want to say about the, I guess, the particular brand of, of falsehood that you were led down that you haven't said yet? Or oh yeah. Um, uh, so the church that we were in, um, I think it was slowly uh, influenced over time more and more uh, by Bethel Church uh, of Reading in California. Uh, a lot of you would know Bethel, uh, especially their music. Um, and I really liked Bethel. I really agreed with um, the teaching of Bill Johnson. Um, but um, since coming to know the truth of the gospel and accepting all scripture, um, I, I have to say that um, that, is, that is false gospel that he presents. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't say, back to the very first question that you asked about we were being carried away, I think it was a very slow integration and uh, I felt, looking back now, like a frog in a boiling pot um, until it just didn't really, it crept up on, on me anyway. Yeah, uh, for those who don't understand that analogy, uh, the same, I've never experimented with it, but apparently if you put a frog in a in hot water, it'll jump straight out. But if you put it in a pot of cold water and slowly warm it up, it stays there and eventually cooks. Um, I'm not sure why you don't. I haven't the frog. tried that. You haven't tried no. that either. Yes. So, so to the, to the pet lovers amongst us who are listening, um, don't throw anything at us. So, but that's that's really big what what you guys have just been sharing. Um, and 
And Peter, in our reading today, told us that they entice unsteady souls. Um, can you tell us how, how you realised that you had become unsteady souls? I mean, that, that must have really hurt. That must have been a real kick in the guts, a real blow to the pride to go, you know what, I, I'm an unsteady soul. I, I've been deceived because I, I know that most of us, we don't like to think that we could be deceived. Um, yeah, tell us how you came to that realisation. Yeah, um, uh, it was gut-wrenching and, and devastating um, to come to that realisation that for 10 years I had um, viewed and, and worshipped a God who I was comfortable with and who I'd accepted. And, um, and really, because I rejected Scripture, I was believing... Uh, in a God who I'd made up in my own mind. I'd sort of created uh, my own golden calf to worship, one that um, I was happy with and I could make sense of and understand. Um, and I think that um, understanding the real value of Scripture is just so important. Um, and I think uh, that is really, um, I mean, my call, my challenge to, to people who I've been talking with um, is to read scriptures, read the Bible, uh, all of it, and um, putting aside what you think you know about God, what you've been taught, your experiences, um, and trusting the scriptures and, and accepting all of them, regardless of whether that conflicts what I believe or what I think. And I think that's the real test to see whether you are believing the true gospel uh, or not. I think what you're saying really is we let the, the scriptures shape what we believe about God instead of let, letting what we believe about God shape how we understand the scriptures. Is that? That's correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I guess what's really come through in, in Second Peter is um, there's no, no way of getting around it. He's been really blunt and really offensive in what he's been saying about these false teachers. And I know, and I've said during our series, that for me, even for me personally, it's like in our culture, we would only ever want to talk about false teachings, not about false teachers, because we never really want to make it personal. But, but Peter is saying this is so critical that he's actually naming... You know, beware of false teachers, uh, not just ings. Um, and I, I've really grappled with this. And I guess even what you guys are describing now, it seems that the very gospel that's being preached is not the gospel at all. And it seems to me that it, if the gospel requires that we repent and it's being and the gospel is being preached, well, you don't repent or they change the meaning of repentance... I guess it seems like there's the danger there could be a whole bunch of people out there who have been told that they've been saved and they're not. Uh, what, what would you say on this? Yeah, when we started reading more scripture, Michael, there's so much in the New Testament and probably in the Old Testament, but the passages that we stumbled across about false believers. So you know that, that one in Matthew about not everyone expecting to enter the kingdom of heaven will be let in. Uh, in. In one of the Corinthians books, it talks about testing yourselves to see if you are in the faith. I really recommend that everybody do that. Uh, the book of 1 John is a really, really good book to help us to do that. It's actually provided to test yourself. Uh, John says that in his book. Uh, so that we can, yeah, see if we are believing the true biblical gospel. Yeah, but in reading the scripture, that's, that's all we can say, really, um, is, is that as we were reading it, we're realising that, yeah, not every churchgoer is truly saved. And that's not to say that we can make a judgment on an individual person. That is completely God's job. And I, I definitely can't, uh, and, and I won't make an, uh, an individual call on, on each person, but I know for myself, I sought God my whole life and, and I was looking for him, but until I understood the, the true biblical gospel because I'd been believing so many false things, I can't say that I was saved until that point of, of reaching true repentance. 
So um, yeah, it's it's really devastating. It's really it's been really really hard for us to come to that realization. Yeah, and um, but God's been saving lots of our friends and and family out of deception as well, which we praise God for. But you know, there are still people who are stuck in in deception that we've got to share the gospel with. And I guess as I've talked with you guys, um, what's really come through to me is is that you, you're not wanting to be judgmental of people. You're not wanting to be judgmental um, and just your hearts have been one of concern um, that people you love might be caught in error and therefore not saved. And um, that's really come through to me and, and that's come through in the passion that I've seen you guys uh, share. And um, did you have anything more that you wanted to say before I wrap us up? Just a word of encouragement to anyone, whether in this room or listening to a recording later, to anyone who God may be revealing that you've believed some lies or you've been caught in a false gospel, um, we're with you. And it is really painful, but don't be afraid of that because... When God reveals his truth to us, it's, it's good and he's, he's saving people and he's healing people. Don't be afraid of the pain uh, because this has been really painful to realise that for 10 years we were worshipping in idolatry. That really sucks to, to realise that. Uh, but God is good and his death on the cross is sufficient for that idolatry. His, his death on the cross is sufficient for our sin. And all we need to do is turn and place our trust in him and we're forgiven and we praise him for that. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and if uh, anyone wants to, if you have questions, please come and talk to us. Uh, give us a call. Um, we'd love to uh, share with you more um, if, if you have questions or you're in doubt yourself, um, and, and we are learning, we are, we've just fresh come to this and I'm reading the scriptures and, and, and relearning things and um, understanding. And, and yeah, I just encourage you to read the word, uh, believe it, and, um, and yeah, please come talk to us. Um, and, um, and yeah, I'd love for you guys to do that. Well... Thanks very much for, for being willing to come and share with us today. Um, has everybody been happy to have these guys share? Yep, good, good. And, um, yeah, we've been blessed to have you. And um, I, get, I get to see these guys in Dirrambandi because we, we see them at our Dirrambandi services, but um, you guys don't get to see them here. But um, I think a way to finish off would be to, to be reminded of the way that Peter finished off his letter. Um, because remember I asked the question, is this enough for us? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Is that enough for us? It ought to be. That's a glorious thing, isn't it? And um, so I just want to encourage everyone to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Not looking for anything extra. And to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Thank you.